0: I am so excited to be here with Mary and Ron Meyer at their Strawberry Hill Organic Farm in Coshocton County. Um, I've been here before, I brought a group here about 10 years ago and um, I was excited that Ron and Mary would have us come back so that they could share their farm with you. Mela Roush and I'm inviting you to join me on my Natural Solutions Natural Health podcast. My guests who visit me will enlighten and inspire you about many different approaches to natural wellness. I believe the stories and information my guests share about their journey and commitment to natural health will be so encouraging for you. My podcast is riding on the wave of the future and we will take you there with wonderful information. Come and ride the wave of natural health We are ready to go, so let's get to it. So Ron and Mary, Ron, whoever wants to go first, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the farm and about you guys.
1: I grew up in the Cleveland area. My parents were public school teachers who had grown up on diversified farms throughout Ohio. We spent a lot of time camping and, and backpacking when I was growing up. I spent many days and weeks on my grandparents' farms. My parents, when I was, went off to college, and my brother and sister did too, looked for a place to buy in Ohio that was uh, remote, that they could do a little farming and little camping on. They finally found this rundown eighty-acre farm in Coshocton County in 1973. My dad bought it for five dollars down. That's the money he had with him. <laughs> wow! And the house was was abandoned. All the windows were broken out. Uh, there was no electricity, running water. It became a place for the family to renovate and to to stay for weekends, camping, that kind of thing. Mary and I got married in 1970. Five.
0: Five. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh, we just went through this yesterday. I couldn't remember how long my husband and I had been married. So, (laughs) sometime
1: back then we got married. We were working in um, communications for a nonprofit agency, and, and things fell apart there. And we needed a place to go while we were looking for other jobs. We asked my parents if we could live here for a while till we found other other employment. And they said, yeah, they'd like to have somebody take care of the place. So we moved here. There was electricity by that time. Running water was established shortly after we moved. And we ended up staying for nine years. And we did freelance uh, writing and photography and graphic design work for that time. And also got started doing uh, serious farming and gardening. Then we moved away. During that time, too, I also built a house for my parents, who moved to this property in in retirement. We weren't making quite enough money. I got a job in sales promotion with a publishing company, and we moved to Pennsylvania for the next 16 years. And Mary worked as an editor and a writer, and a graphic designer. That was her skill set. At the end of that 16 years, well, I was ready to do something different than sitting at at a... desk in an office all day and we had continued coming back to the farm. I had been spending a good bit of my summers here on the farm doing farm work and gardening with our children. Uh, We decided to move back here and I was going to get into organic farming full-time I decided and Mary could continue her work as an editor and designer by computer on the internet. Wow. So that was in 2003 we moved back here. And we set up our organic farm at that time with the intention of selling directly to customers.
0: That's awesome. So how'd all say? that go with you, Mary? <laughs> it was fine. Um, I
2: grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania. Um, about, to... a, about an hour south of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Philadelphia. Oh, north of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania. We're bad with directions. <laughs> he can't remember the wedding date, <laughs> but he can remember where, <laughs> yeah, you, where he, he was from. Yeah, same He geography. I know. Yes, that's good. <laughs> don't ask me directions for anywhere. Anyway, we met in college in Indiana and started dating my freshman year, his sophomore year. and. We we lived there first, then in West Liberty, Ohio, and then here, and then Western Pennsylvania. And Western Pennsylvania was in um, Westmoreland County. It was near Greensburg, not that far from Pittsburgh. And our kids grew up there. All three of them went through school there mm-hmm. um, before we moved away. And it was when our youngest daughter was... A senior that we moved back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I we, have a question. Yes.
0: When he said that you moved here and decided to do the organic farming, were you into natural also? I mean because you have to know about natural things. To, well our to oldest daughter had worked as an intern on an
2: organic farm in college. And that's really, I think, when we started thinking about it. Ron always liked farming. Yeah.
0: I better interject. So okay. the influence came from your kids?
1: Actually, from my parents. Oh,
0: okay. My father was a that's
1: biologist, true. a biology teacher. And I grew up helping him with his research projects. When they bought the farm, half of this farm had been strip mined in the 1950s. It looked terrible. My dad was interested in what could be done to renovate that. and. You discovered the best thing to do was to plant trees, conifers, pine trees. So in, in my spring breaks from college, I would spend out here with my family. Mary came sometimes too and we'd plant thousands <laughs> of little pine seedlings uh-huh. on the strip mine soils. The idea was to give something, a foothold there, which the pine needles would fall, they'd form little organic material on the soil, the native trees would start to come back and that's what's happened.
0: Wow well I you, wish I wish our listeners could see what I'm looking at because you <laughs> pointed out to me what that used to look like because it was all strip mine right. and it's absolutely beautiful and it's so peaceful here so you know uh, but my question to Mary was oh, that did she uh, go along with all this? Oh, Obviously yes. you did I mean it, yes. it rang it rang in with you that yeah. you liked the idea of well, I grew looking. up on a farm. Oh, did you? Yes, okay.
2: I grew up on a farm in eastern Pennsylvania. Um, my dad was a minister, okay. So that was not his main job, but he had a couple truck patches, and we always had a big garden, and we had we raised chickens from tiny baby chicks uh-huh. till laying size wow and <laughs> so i knew about gardening and i like gardening yeah.
0: but i like it i like it that it came from your daughter who who shared about organic with you yeah we went That's to visit the reverse her there. i mean usually yeah. it's it it comes the other direction yeah, right so she she uh really um got her message across obviously <laughs> so <laughs> well whoa. there
1: was there was something too though my dad became interested in Non-chemical growing because of all the damage he'd seen from strip mining, and so we began farming here with the idea of not using a lot of chemicals. And I was quite interested in that too. I took our daughter to a seminar at Denison University when she was in Pittsburgh, I believe, and or she was still in college. Yes. Yeah, and did. it was a an, or. A sustainable farming conference and that triggered her interest to work on an organic farm that summer. Okay. And then, since then, she's been our teacher.
0: Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Well, what all do you produce here at Strawberry Hill?
1: We produce a variety of fruits and vegetables, all different kinds of, of berries, uh, our son and daughter-in-law are partners in the farm business. They produce blueberries now, and didn't raspberries. didn't you say they live close? They live close. They're a, a quarter of a mile through the woods that direction. Yeah.
0: Well, it's nice that it's it's so grown up we can't see their, can't house. their house. You yeah, can't see their house in the winter. winter you can, you can, yeah. can see it okay. when the leaves <laughs> okay. are down
1: in the winter. Okay. Yeah. But they decided to move here. They bought that land about five years ago and decided to build a house and move here. And I took a year off of farming to build their house, wow. to manage the building yeah. of their house. Um, but they produce they specialize in blueberries and raspberries and blackberries over here at the main farm we produce a lot of strawberries but otherwise we leave the berry production to them
0: so there's how you got strawberry hill farm that's right, right. Where you, where you live in I was the gonna hills. ask you that his dad loved
2: strawberries Loved growing strawberries and had picked strawberries when he was young uh-huh. for five cents a quart and He always talked about that. And he grew probably more strawberries than he should have on the farm. And then we had to try and get rid of them or sell them. I shouldn't say get rid of them, but find places where they wanted to buy them. And so Ron continued the strawberry tradition.
0: Well, I I was gonna ask that. And now that you're pretty well established, how long have you been here? On the 18 years? Okay.
1: 18 years.
0: Okay. So I was going to ask you, um, what are some of the goals that you've had since you got into the organic farming and you're here, and you've been here obviously for 18 years, but what are some of your goals with all this? Yes.
1: I went to a lot of conferences and workshops before we moved back here trying to learn about organic and sustainable farming. And we decided that our main goal for the farm would be Not to maximize profit, but to build the health and the stability of the human and natural communities.
0: I love it. I love it. I love (laughs) it. Those are not our words. Those
1: come from Wendell Berry. And I just thought it was so great that we ought to adopt those as our our motto or our goal, our vision statement for the farm. Wendell Berry is a writer and an environmentalist from Kentucky. Okay. He's, he's well-known in environmental circles. So he
0: probably has a lot of books out there that he people can look up. He has a lot of up. books, yep. yes. Mm-hmm. So how do, what is the process of getting certified to mm-hmm. be on an organic farm? Uh,
1: it's a, a rigorous process. You, There's initially an application you fill out which details every every aspect of what you are going to do to your farm. You, you have to have all your fields labeled and uh, defined. Uh, everything that you input that you're going to be using on, on the fields has to be documented. You need to keep a, a record of each field, what what was done, when to that field, what was grown there. Uh,
0: do they come and inspect this frequently? There is an
1: inspection involved, too. You fill out this application, and I think my initial application was around 30 pages long. It's sent to an, a certifying agency, and the certifying agencies are independent, but they're all certified by the United States Department of Agriculture to do this kind of Certifying.
0: We actually interviewed an inspector. Did you? Uh, I okay. can't remember what show it was or what yeah. podcast, but we actually had him tell his okay. side of the story of mm-hmm. what he does, what he does, yeah.
1: Our so, agents, our certifying agency, there are a number out there, is the Ohio Ecological Food and Farm Association. Their headquarters okay. are in Columbus uh-huh. and they've been very helpful. They're good to deal with, but you send your application in and you have to do that every year. Renew that Certification. You're inspected every year, and the inspection usually takes about a half a day. Inspector's on site. He looks at all your fields, and he goes through the paperwork. If the ins- if the inspector he or she were to go through all of our paperwork, they would be here probably a week. Wow! So they just <laughs> randomly ask for certain things. So we, we have, have to have we have to have it all ready. Wow. And it it includes sales records, planting records, everything we've done to every field and they want to follow one product from start to finish. All our seeds must be certified organic seeds. So they want to have the receipts of the, that seed order. They look at that, then you have to document where that was planted and everything that was done on that area that where it was planted and then what has been sold, everything that has been sold from
0: that. Well, I've got to share something with you. When I brought that group here um, about 10 years yeah. ago, um, My husband and I, ever since, honestly, have bought organic as much as we can. Because (laughs) after we learned what you go through to do what you do, And people will say, well, organic, it's so much more expensive. But Mm -hmm. if you ever visit an organic farm (laughs) and can appreciate what you have to go through to do what you do, um, you would not complain because you'd realize how um, you are getting that quality of a product. So uh, another question I have, and then um, after we talk about that a little bit, I'd like to take all of our um, listeners and we'll go down to a field and you can kind of show us some things down there. But... um, how do you build healthy soil? What 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 do you have to do to do that? Since you're organic, you're not going to put anything in there. You're going to, you know, so tell us all about that.
1: We're organic, we are going to put some things in there, but they're going to be natural things. Like? Uh, uh, Old hay and other organic material, compost. Uh, Organic or healthy soil is defined kind of by soil scientists as having a certain percentage of organic matter, and I believe it's three to five percent, as having a certain uh, good tilth, and that is the lightness of the soil. It's not compacted, it's fairly light. I can't remember the other aspects of the definition of healthy soil, but it is also alive. It is full of microscopic organisms, Mm -hmm. microbes, which would include fungi and bacteria, nematodes, uh, earthworms, of course, which are not microscopic, but lots of little things that are alive in the soil, which help it to be healthy and help it to be nutritional for plants. Uh, Various kinds of fungi will colonize plant roots and enable those roots to absorb nutrients that otherwise they'd have trouble absorbing. It's one example. Uh, and the various microbes will also feed on the organic material that's in the soil and produce nutritional elements for the plants too. So healthy soil is alive. If you Conventional farmers tend to treat soil like dirt. It's something just to hold the plants up. And then they pour <laughs> pour um, synthetic fertilizers on to give them some nutrition. They grow like crazy, but the soil is basically dead. Uh, and then they pour pesticides and herbicides on to control diseases and insects. Healthy soil will produce healthy plants which better resist insect damage and plant and diseases. And a lot of people
0: don't know that. Yeah. You know, I want to share a story with you uh, that um, I watched this uh program where this gal has an organic flower farm oh, yeah. and when her and her husband bought it they were like you they kind of just started out and then it just grew from there but they bought some extra land to grow their make their farm go bigger and she said that we could not get a flower to grow oh, because yeah. the soil was dead and then they showed bringing truckloads of all this natural material in to feed the soil back so that they could get flowers to grow oh. and um you know, um, out in, uh, I remember being out in um, wine country and uh, some of the farms out there that are organic, they plant specific, uh, some kind of flower shrub or I forget what it is at the end of each side of that uh area where they're growing the grapes to to get rid of certain pest bugs. Right. Yeah so um, I'll tell you what why don't we take a walk and go down to the field and then um, I'm going to put on my garden hat and we're going to uh, learn a lot more about organic farming.
1: This is our packing shed we call it we use it for storing um, vegetables and fruits that we've Picked and also for rinsing some of them, cleaning them up. Okay, we can. Can we step inside? Sure, we'll go inside. It's we've got a cooler. We're
0: stopping here on our way down to the fields.
1: It's it was designed I designed the building for our CSA and farmers market sales and we got away from those during the pandemic and we're doing now online ordering and home delivery. That's how we sell our stuff. So I don't have enough room for everything in here, like all the the produce boxes and the insulated liners and things. So it's it's jammed full, but it it works.
0: I Um, love that. Now I hmm, that's garlic, right? That's garlic. And I'll tell you what, that's I'm Italian. So (laughs) that's one of my favorite things Uh, is garlic. Garlic.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Yes, that, that yeah. garlic is, is curing there and we'll sell that uh, through the fall yep. and the winter. And
0: you got you got a, ba- a couple of baskets yeah. going those, here, those too. Those are what we're selling yeah. right
1: now. Yeah, yep. and you
0: got all your sinks set yep. up. Yeah, this and, is where we clean yeah. things.
1: Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, we yeah. process. We awesome. don't really process things. We pack it in pack here. Pack it.
0: Yeah. yeah. So we're headed down to what field, Ron?
1: Uh, we're actually headed down to fields one through six each. Well, they have to be numbered? They have to be numbered for organic certification and our fields are very small you could call them plots but they're all the same size one through six so we do rotation year by year uh, through those six fields Um, and we have a special rotation that we do but we're probably changing it up some because we're changing what we're growing just a little bit. Okay. This is field number six right here.
0: I see Mary's got a few flowers snuck in there. She she
1: grows a a good number of flowers. And then we actually sell, she sells flower bouquets. Uh, That's part of it. Uh, This field was inundated by the heavy rains of the last two weeks. And it was just swamped. And we lost some crops. There's a a short row of kale there. And you can see half of it is about dead. It was just too much, too much water in our heavy clay soil. Up here it was a little... Little drier, and the water kind of sat there, sat there, and just uh, inundated the roots. And roots of plants cannot take it if they're surrounded by water for an extended period of time, like three or four days, which is what happened there. It just they drown.
0: They yeah, need a little bit you of air. You can tell it looks like they did.
1: Yeah. So, they may come back. I don't know.
0: So let's talk about the rotation that mm-hmm. you do, um, and and how does that work? I mean. Uh, just explain how well, that works. You
1: don't want to plant the same crop in the same place every every year because that will attract uh, insect pests to that particular area and also result in, in diseases becoming set in the soil in that particular area. So we rotate our crops year by year. This particular plot, this is our field number six, is designated for what we call mixed vegetables this year. And it's just got a variety of different... Uh, vegetables growing here, Uh, beets and lettuce and onions, kale, uh, green beans, zucchini and tomatoes. Uh, We've got some basil down there. Uh, And we actually will will rotate, we'll plant successive rows of crops here. When the beets, the peas were in here earlier, we've now replanted uh, beets in some of those areas, lettuce where the peas were, uh, when the beets are done, we'll plant lettuce there. Uh, so we'll plant one crop after the other, but never the same thing. Same now, place. is that.
0: The reason that you do that is because certain crops pull certain nutrients out and you've got to let that get back into the soil. Is that why you do it? Uh,
1: that's part of it because the crops use different nutrients, but a lot of it has to do with the, the insect pests and, and the...
0: We've got a friendly the, bumblebee going yeah. around here and I'm standing real still. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he won't hurt he you. He won't hurt us. Yeah. He
0: wants something sweet. Hey. <laughs> But mainly
1: we're trying to we're we're not we're trying not to deplete the particular nutrients that that plant needs but also we're trying to avoid the insect pests that would be attracted there and all, and the the various diseases that that would be present. So
0: what you said there mm-hmm. is important that certain plants need certain nutrients yeah. to become what they are. Right. So they pull that from the soil, mm-hmm. correct?
1: Mhm. And in building the healthy soil, we actually do plant some crops because they will enhance the fertility of the soil. I don't see any here right now, but we'll plant buckwheat as a cover crop. It's not to harvest or sell or anything. And then we'll work that back into the soil. We'll till that into the soil. And what
0: does that put back in? It adds
1: organic material mainly. Mainly? Yeah. And that's what we like to add a lot of to our, our soil. I'll show you. We... We use narrow raised beds, a system of narrow raised beds. They're about 10 to 12 inches wide at the top. And between those raised beds, we mulch with old hay. And we kind of, we try to put it down in leaves. As the hay bales come apart, they come apart in in leaves. And I can kind of show you that this is deteriorating real nicely. We want it to deteriorate, work its way into the soil. But this was a, a leaf from an old hay bale. We set them down by leaves. Over a season that will deteriorate, it will work its way into the soil. The soil microbes will digest it, turn it into usable nutrients for the plants, and also help the soil to remain more loose. Uh, This year our hay mulch is deteriorating much more quickly than usual. Usually we'll put it on early in the summer or in the spring and it will last a season. We've had so much rain. I was
0: going to say, is it because of the rain? Because of the yeah. rain.
1: Excessive rain and then real warm temperatures. That speeds up the decomposition process.
0: I'm curious. Yeah. What's what's underneath that netting there?
1: There's blueberries. Those okay. are some blueberry bushes. We have some over here that have been here for a number of years. And they produce moderately, not real well. But that keeps the birds out of the blueberries. Otherwise, the birds would get them all.
0: So, um... Insects are a problem, so how do you control that?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: I know you mentioned that uh, um, organic plants, healthy plants, have a better, uh, they can kind of ward that off a little bit better. Yes. But do you do something specific to help you keep the yeah, It
1: depends on, on what the insect pest is. The big the biggest thing is to be able to identify what it is and then try to figure out what to do. Uh, you can see there's a, a planting of zucchini down there, those big big yep. leaves that yep. squash. That is the best zucchini i've been ever ever able to grow it's normally i plant one row a single row and it does fine that has expanded to almost three rows and i'm getting so many zucchini i don't know what to do with them it's a result of weather conditions this year and uh, we generally have a big problem with zucchini and other squash with two insect pests squash bugs And cucumber beetles. uh, One or the other, or both of them, will carry a bacterial wilt. It's not that they eat the plants so much, but they bring this bacterial wilt and in just a week or so, the plants die. It's, It's hard to keep them going. This year we're not having that problem, even though I've observed squash bugs and cucumber beetles on the plants, and I think it's because they're so healthy.
0: Wow, I think that's that amazing. they're able to
1: resist yeah. the wilt so far. Now, we have some cucumbers on the other side of the zucchini. You can't see them. And they're dying now uh, fairly quickly from the bacterial wilt. They can't resist as well.
0: Now, I've got to add this in because mm-hmm. I work with people to help their bodies stay healthy so they can fight off different right. things. And it works the same way. Uh-huh. The healthier you are on the inside, the more you can fight off... Uh, bacterias and diseases and that sort of thing. So, uh, plants operate the same, obviously. Oh, they do. They wow. do. That...
1: Now, that doesn't always work. Uh, we Green beans are, are vulnerable to what's called the Mexican bean beetle, mm-hmm. and it will defoliate them and actually about ruin the plants, and they can become a real problem, the Mexican bean beetles. What we can do under organic certification is bring in what's called a parasitic wasp. It's a little tiny almost microscopic wasp that is native to where the Mexican bean beetles come from, Mexico, but it it won't survive our winters around here. So we can buy that wasp. It comes in a little little container with about 50 wasps in it, I put hang the container in the the bean row. Those wasps will actually uh, They'll parasitize the Mexican bean beetles wow. when they're in the larval stage, and produce a whole whole bunch. They'll kill the larvae, but they'll produce a whole bunch more of the wasps, and they will take care of that Mexican bean beetle problem. Wow!
0: You know, a, um, I used to have a horse. He passed away a few years mm. ago, but uh, my cousin and I, in the barn, we actually brought in uh, that came and they were live some kind of bugs or parasites or whatever and we would sprinkle those all over their stall because it helped get rid of the flies yes yes Mm -hmm. it was something that worked against the flies Uh, i hope that our listeners are catching um how all this works and it makes so much more sense to do things in a more natural way um I'm standing here and I'm just wondering, looking down over that field down there. What do you have growing down there?
1: Farther down. We can, can we walk, walk, walk down, down there. there? Sure. We'll okay. walk around. Yeah. <clears throat> there are some uh, organic sprays that we use too for insects. The, the one is, uh, it's called, it's a BT, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis, a bacterial spray. But It's a bacteria that harms a particular insect. Those crops are susceptible to a a caterpillar which comes from a little butterfly called the cabbage looper and it will it'll strip them bare these caterpillars wow. will eat them make lots of holes and this bacteria will kill those caterpillars but it's it's benign to people and, and animals
0: well in my garden at home and and a lot of my friends I deal with essential oils yes. and there's a lot of essential oils that bugs do not like oh yeah <laughs> and so yeah. Uh, you know if you spray there's a mixture we use with rosemary and a couple other things and that really keeps uh, a lot of the pests off of the plants so and and of course those are perfectly natural they come from a plant it's just that those yeah. bugs don't like that oil yes so yeah um,
1: sure so we, we're there is a list of of acceptable uh things you can spray on, on organic uh, pl- vegetables and fruits. It's put out by the Organic Materials Review Institute, Omri, and we depend on that list to see what, what we can use for various insect and disease problems. Wow.
0: So I see you got some corn and the these looks corn. like sunflowers, sunflowers here. Wow, yeah. those are healthy looking. They're
1: very healthy, yeah. Uh, Mary sells sunflowers,
0: yeah. Yep, I can tell. She gets her flowers in there. (laughs) (laughs) We can move. This is plot number one. Uh Okay, this is one. And you have six, right? We
1: have six. And actually, two of them are in hay this year. We put them back into hay. We're slowing down a little. We're getting older. We used to have apprentices work here on the farm. And uh, that got kind of old. That's a lot of work,
0: isn't it? That's a lot of work (laughs) because they live with
1: us, too. And we want to cut back. We don't want to work so hard anymore. These are strawberries that will produce next year. They're ready to be weeded again, but it's been a little bit too wet with all the rain. Now it's time to get in there and and work on them.
0: Now you said produce next year. Mm -hmm. Did they produce this year too? No, they didn't. We
1: plant them one year as little seedlings, and we cultivate them and and prepare them, and the the first harvest is the next year. And then we usually get two years of harvest from our strawberries, and after that, weed pressure has gotten... Pretty significant, and the plants are not as healthy.
0: So, so, are you guys getting the gist now how much work it is to have an organic farm <laughs> and produce us with all that yummy stuff? And if you've ever had homegrown strawberries, you don't ever want to eat the ones that come from various places Boy, that's around for the sure. country. Uh, that's for sure. And they're hard to find right now. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, it's hard to find certified organic strawberries. They're hard to grow because it takes a lot of hand work. Uh, many Many organic growers will actually use plastic between their rows as a way to keep down mulch and retain soil moisture. I've resisted that. It's actually acceptable in organic farming to use plastic. Even
0: plastic gives off a little bit of uh, Uh, xenoestrogens and some things, yeah. It gives
1: off chemicals. Plus, no one has ever figured out what to do with it when you're done. There is no good... Plastic is an ecological disaster. Right, There's it's nothing still going to be here
0: it. when we're gone. That's They're right. They're going to dig up our uh, somebody's going to dig up our um, trash places where we take all of our trash and wonder what the <laughs> heck were these people doing. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. So many <laughs> organic growers use plastic. It makes things so much easier. But I, I've resisted that. I'm not going to do well, it.
0: Well, I'm glad you did.
1: So, <laughs> I just sweat a lot yeah. more. Yeah.
0: So um, we got strawberries. Yes. And what, what are these? These are uh,
1: pole beans here. These are actually beans that are designed for um, maturing on the vine and producing like... Uh, uh, what are the various kinds of beans? Cranberry beans uh-huh. and black beans and these are a project of our son and daughter-in-law. They like to have lots of beans for the winter. They're these high are actually, in protein. They are. They
0: are and they, they got yeah. good fiber. And so they're, they're, all that's they're great good. great for
1: you. Yep. Pinto beans. These might be pinto okay. beans. I'm not sure. They grow about three varieties of them and these are actually not for sale because it would take so much work to produce a significant amount yeah. they produce enough beans for them their family they supply mary and me with with dried beans for the winter that's nice and the onions then are right behind them um this is also their project they like to to grow the storage onions and we will sell some of these but a lot of them are for our own use through the winter
0: you know i'm i know about gardening a little bit and yeah. and uh but I did not know that the onions stuck up like that
2: yeah yeah above they
0: tend
1: not to be uh, buried in the soil that's now, right now
0: when you plant them do you plant them kind of toward the no, top you no, put them down we put in in the soil.
1: Se- well, these are planted from seedlings and okay. those are put down there and then the bulb comes to the top yeah,
0: yeah. I, I never realized that yeah wow yeah, that's it
1: Beyond the onions down there are our second-year strawberries. Those have been, we call it, renovated. Uh, When the production is done at the end of June or early July, I mow them off fairly close to the ground and then rototill on either side, so there's about a 10-inch wide strip of strawberry plants left, and then I will continue weeding those through the summer and tilling along the sides, and those will produce uh, good berries again next year.
0: Now when you told the story about your farm, mm-hmm. was this all strip land too? No,
1: this is this was untouched okay, land. Okay, that's here. good. Yeah, yeah, the farm was 80 acres, 40 of which were strip mined. And so what we're looking at right now, this was a field that was overgrown with weeds, but it was not strip mined at okay. that time. Yeah, it'd be very hard to grow anything on Uh, worthwhile on strip mine land.
0: You Uh, have beef cattle and mm -hmm. you raise chickens and Mm -hmm. we're going to look out like they're, I know they're free range.
1: Yeah. Um, you can, you can just see their chicken house out there, but they're not, they're not out in the pasture right now. I didn't realize this, but early this year, there was a chicken shortage and it had to do with the pandemic and restaurants and other places couldn't get all the chicken they wanted. And apparently, um, I don't know exactly all the reasons for it, but a lot of people started to raise their own chickens, meat chickens. And I think a lot of the Amish growers north of us realized there was a chicken shortage. They jumped into the growing broilers on pasture market. And our local poultry processor in Baltic, 10 miles north of here had no space for me to have any chickens processed. And that this was year. the
0: first time ever you uh, said. Yeah,
1: I, I got in touch with them when I at the time of year I always do February or so and they said they had no openings for the rest of two thousand twenty one.
0: Wow. And I, I wow. couldn't believe
1: it. Yeah. And it's only it's one of only two, as I understand, uh, state inspected custom poultry processors in Ohio. The other one is near the Indiana line, and I used to go there, but I don't want to drive that far anymore. Yeah, that's anymore. kind of a
0: distance, yeah. yeah. Well, on that thought process there about the chickens, have you noticed that more people are getting um, and wanting organic? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know all yeah. my friends. Most of my friends do, yeah. and that that's uh, big.
1: Well, that's a good question. I don't think I can answer it very well because... I don't get out much.
0: Okay, so statistically, <laughs> you're not watching it or anything. I'm, I'm but not. I mean, I wondered if you yeah. felt like more and more people were trying to uh, purchase things from you and, yeah. and got you know the word out.
1: I think there is strong interest in organic and sustainably produced food. Uh, we we do very little promotion. My background is in. Uh, print communication and sales promotions. And that's how we've we've gotten the customers that we have uh-huh. through mailing lists and, and uh, online promotion. But we do very little promotion you because get, we have all the customers we need yeah, and want.
0: By word of mouth. So well, can, it's that, it's that's, word of mouth plus the
1: list we build up over the years. Right, right. And if we would If we would do some promotion, we could easily double or triple in this small area, the number of customers we have. So it's
0: one industry that there's a lot of room for growth if somebody wants to do it. There's room for growth. And I was going to ask you how you felt about the future of sustainability of food. You Mm -hmm. know, what do you think?
1: I think the future for sustainable food growing is kind of bleak because in this country we are not used to paying the true cost of the food that we eat.
0: Well, I hope our listeners have learned today for sure <laughs> why, you know, your organic foods might be a little bit more expensive when you see all that they have to go through to create this wonderful food, you know. Um, but but you were saying that the future of the sustainability of it.
1: It's, it's difficult. There's a lot of work involved and the pay is, is quite low. Um, there's an example I can give. My mother's father, my grandfather, was a farmer, and most of his life he raised uh, chickens, hens, laying hens, and they were on pasture. This was in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. When she was a teenager, she and her two younger sisters would get home from school, and their job was to clean eggs. That's what they did when they got home from school. If somebody would drop an egg, they would say, this was in the middle 19 to late 1940s. Somebody drop an egg, they'd say, there goes a nickel. They're getting paid 60 cents a dozen wholesale price for their eggs in the late 1940s. Wow. If you translate that to today's prices... That's about $11 a dozen. If I could get $11 a dozen for my eggs, that's all I would do. I would raise eggs (laughs) on pasture and I'd make a good living.
0: My grandfather
1: was not wealthy, but he was able to send his three daughters to college and make a living.
0: And he was happy doing what he was doing. They always say, do what you love and you'll be happy no matter what the income is. you know, just on on that thought, that back when your dad and mom did this, and I had an uncle that was very much into natural, um, they did it at, back then because it was just to save money, and they were on the farm, on and, the farm. you know, uh, some of them knew about, well, even back then, we don't want chemicals. Yeah. And the society became... Uh, we want things fast and quick and all and that cheap and cheap, but I'll tell you if you've ever eaten a, a free-range organic chicken egg You'll never eat one again <laughs> that's the other kind because there is a huge difference in taste and nutrition. Nutritional and quality. nutrition. And yeah. nutrition, yeah. The
1: egg board would tell you there's no difference in nutrition, but the thing My looks a whole lot different. And it looks a whole a difference. lot different. Yeah. So there's, there's got to yeah. be some yeah. difference. But we're accustomed, the reason I think sustainable food does not have a real bright future, is that we are so accustomed to low prices. Who would pay $11 a dozen for eggs today? Yeah, you would, would, but not many people yeah. would. And we're, we're so accustomed to buying our food in the grocery store, buying our food products that come from the commodities like corn and soybeans that are raised on a subsidized scale, so the price is very low. They go to a factory where they're made into food products and we buy them and the price is cheap. How are you going to convince people that that's not very healthy and that they should yeah. be paying more of the true cost yeah. of food? Nobody wants to pay more. Well, I'm
0: going to share one thought on this, <laughs> and then we're going to walk back up there sure. and kind of finish up. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that our food today, a lot of your fruits and vegetables that come into a supermarket are what they call irradiated. Yeah. And they're taking all the natural enzymes out of those foods. And all those enzymes help our bodies when we eat Organic that has all of those enzymes in there. It helps our bodies process and our gut be healthier So um, that's why your fruits and vegetables can sit on those shelves for a couple weeks without (laughs) Anything happening to them one time and I I can't even tell you how long ago it was I bought a green pepper Mm. from a grocery store and that thing never I threw it away I mean, I thought there's something wrong with this because it's not changing because a good uh, natural vegetable or fruit will start eventually. It'll last long, but it'll start eventually. But this thing never did anything. So I got rid of it. So let's walk back <laughs> sure. up there and we'll finish up. So you have yeah. challenges with wild wild animals? Yes,
1: with wild animals. We love living in this wild, more natural area, but we have to learn how to uh, accommodate the natural critters that live here. The foxes that eat our chickens, the deer that eat our strawberries, the uh, birds that eat our blueberries, the raccoons that eat sweet corn and everything else and are quite vicious.
0: so everything that you have to do licensing and inspection you still have to deal with the wild animals which i know because you're natural you wouldn't want to harm them
1: uh sometimes i want to harm them
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i know the groundhogs are a problem you told your dog you go get a few groundhogs you know that
1: we do hunt deer and we we eat venison our our children grew up on venison and that That lowers the deer population some, but it's not enough. We use electric fence around the garden. We have to come up with strategies to try to outwit these animals, which are, they're not necessarily smart, but they're very good at outwitting us.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) well... You know, I, I just have to thank Ron and Mary so much for having us here today, and I take my hat off to you for all of the, all of the work that you do, and you know, um, is there anything else either one of you would like to add that you might have thought about? Gosh, I wish I would have shared that with the listeners. Um, <laughs> he's giving you a chance to
2: talk. Well, did you tell them about our children? No. Okay, I That's thought about a that. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have three children, our oldest one, which who we mentioned um is Susanna and she and her husband and son live near Pittsburgh and all of our children are involved in organic great. farming to some extent that's she, great she is just starting her own small farm and she gave it the name mighty small farm oh cool. and she's gonna right now she's growing specialty items because her husband works for Harvey Farms Pittsburgh which has a giant CSA and they need certain things to fill in what other farmers mm-hmm. can't produce. well we
0: we learned about the beans that they protect your other son and his wife. They only grow them for you guys and themselves.
2: That's right. yeah. and yes. And Chris and Aaron and their two boys live real right here at the farm. And then our third child, Katie, lives in Elkhart, Indiana, and she's married to a school teacher. And he has a big garden, and they sell produce and he's always out working in his garden they also raise meat chickens and we bought ours from them this year since we couldn't get a processor date
0: mary's giving our listeners an excellent example that children learn what they live ron learned it from his parents and their children learned it from them so that is powerful that is just so powerful and I so. should
2: mention that they have two boys. So we have five grandsons, no girls, all boys.
0: Well, there you go. Ron, <laughs> is there anything you'd like to add before we wind this up? Oh. <laughs> I know you've talked a lot. Yeah. you Mar- of wisdom. I don't
1: have words of wisdom. <laughs> yes. yeah. this Eat is organic. A, yeah.
0: <laughs> that would be good. This is,
1: this is a lot of hard work, but it's fulfilling work because we're... We can see that the land is becoming more healthy, not just the gardens but the other things we're doing around the farm. The land is becoming more healthy, uh, We are produ- it's fulfilling to produce healthy food for people who appreciate it.
0: That's awesome. And all
1: of our customers are appreciative. We have a solid core group of customers that uh, are willing to, to pay a little more for good fresh food from us. And it's fulfilling work. It's hard. I sweat a lot. I'm getting tired as I get older, but uh, it's a fulfilling job.
0: Well, I know that just knowing you two, that your, your customers feel the passion that you have and they do appreciate, you know, what you're doing. And I truly appreciate you taking time out of your farm to do our podcast today. And um, I want to let you know that um, we're going to be on the road again next um, month. We're going to Croydon, Indiana, and we're going to visit a, a, a friend. Her name's LaDonna France, and she just redid and opened a brand new health food store. She always had one. And um, she's a pharmacist, a licensed pharmacist. She is uh, a registered pharmacist, I should say, because now she is a a certified naturopathic doctor. So that will be a very interesting um, road trip for us. So we will see you then and thanks for watching. Bye bye. provide medical aid or nutrition advice for the purpose of health or disease, nor do we claim to be doctors or dietitians. Any product recommendation is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We always encourage you to consult with your medical doctor when you choose to make a health change in your life.